Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Uh, today we are um, we're breaking some things. That's right. Today is the day where it's okay if we break some things. In particular, today we're going to uh, break the mold. You've heard the phrase sometimes, uh, maybe you even uttered this phrase to someone uh, close to you when they made you, they broke the mold, or in some instances they broke the mold and then they made you. Well, in this case, it's more along the lines of breaking the mold. Our guest, very special guest here on the program, is Blanca Blanco. Uh, she writes uh, with candor and uh, uh, traumatic experiences, uh, whether about her childhood of poverty, prejudice, and abuse, or uh, describing in vivid detail uh, the uh, Woolsey fire that she lived through and so many other things. It is a pleasure to have you with us here, Blanca. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Such an honor to be on your show. And hi, everybody. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, um, we all go through our, our, our life's challenges, and you... Uh, in your uh, latest book that we are, of course, talking about today, uh, Surviving Immigration, Racism, Poverty, Abuse, Bullying, and COVID, uh, your new book is entitled Breaking the Mold. And uh, in this case, uh, basically, you came into this world and went through all of these different things, so to speak, as one person, and you've come out the other side, so to speak, as another, uh, a whole new a whole new Blanca, correct? Something along those lines? Yes, definitely. It was definitely something that I I knew that I had a lot of um, challenges growing up, but I wanted to do something different in my life. So I pretty much wanted to just break the mold. I wanted to overcome a lot of the challenges and not allow that to define my future. Well, now you uh, you are someone. You're an actress. You're a fashion model as well, but uh, you are um, someone also who has a couple of degrees: one in psychology and and one in social work. What I find interesting, I've always enjoyed having people on who have their degrees, especially in the psychiatry, psychology, the mental health fields, because it it means to me. It says to me, ah, uh, maybe I'll get an insight on how wacko I am, how crazy I am. <laughs> you know, these are my therapy sessions. I want you to know. Uh, that's how I look at them uh, because uh, I, I learn a lot about myself through my guests as well, um, and you. Now, right now, you're coming to us all the way from Los Angeles, uh, but uh, uh, you immigrated from Mexico. Is that correct with your family? Yes, I was born in, in Watsonville, California. And then when I was three months old, we moved to Mexico. And then at age nine, we moved back to we moved to Washington State. That's where we pretty much I lived there for my entire life until I moved to L.A. for for acting. So definitely moving to Washington, we were an immigrant family. We lived in a garage for two years and we were experiencing severe poverty and also discrimination. Uh, people look at you different when you come from another country and you don't speak the language and you look just different. Yeah. So we had to overcome a lot of challenges as a family and personal as well. Like I would have kids at school throw erasers at me or just like throw something um but none of that i wanted to take the negativity and I, instead i wanted to take action and 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 do you know and work at it i didn't want to allow people's behaviors interfere with my goals mm. and you know there's an irony there because technically speaking you're not an immigrant yeah i was born here yeah you, <laughs> I'm you, you know but when you when you look different, especially when you're a kid, you know, yeah. like you have um, brown hair, big eyebrows, <laughs> it's like <laughs> totally like, you know, different. And it, they put you in kids are very brutal like that. Uh, even when people wear glasses, too, like they could be any yeah. you know, that you wear glasses and they, they will, you know, do stuff or or I, I remember there was like a little kid in fifth grade. He had red hair. And he would he, he got bullied so much that he ended up leaving that school and went to somewhere else. And eventually he came back 
his sophomore year and he was all like like a popular kid when he arrived that everybody was like who's that kid and it, they remember who he was he came back and was the star of the the school hmm. well i know i can i can relate to that uh, growing up legally blind and uh, dealing with uh, that kind of uh, bullying uh, in school uh, it lessened to some degree in high school and then kind of went away after that uh, and I still remember um, an experience when I first started working in radio. Uh, we were still working with vinyl, and I was queuing up a record. And uh, someone was in the studio uh, there with me, and they were shocked at how fast I was able to queue it up, although I was looking very closely at the vinyl to make sure I queued it up correctly in the right, on the right track. And they said, I, I didn't know you couldn't see well. Wow. You know, and I'd only been in a couple of years. Uh, and now um, I have and, and I used to be embarrassed about, you know, if I had a magnifying glass pulling it out or what have you. But I, I carry one with me. I use it all the time, uh, even when I'm using the computer. It's just what I do. So those are those are some of the things that I've dealt with. And, and obviously you've been through something similar. I actually was not liked very much even by the girls in spite of the fact that they liked my eyelashes. I guess I had eyelashes that women or girls wanted they long what have you and that was when i was a kid i don't know about today but you you've survived if you will uh if we want to put it in that context uh faced and made it through the challenges as i was mentioning earlier of poverty and of course uh, being an immigrant family at least in the shall we call it the traditional sense, bullying and abuse, education, huge topic we'll talk about as well, as well as your work as a model and an actress, dealing also with the issues, as you've already touched on, on racism and prejudice and the Malibu fire, uh, the Woolsey fire. Um, you also, and I am going to guess that in these last couple of years, you've also still uh, maybe, maybe been dealing with the whole issue of anxiety because I know a lot of people are dealing with that because of the perception of the uncertainty of the future of life when in fact there isn't any, whether there's a pandemic or not, there's no certainty. There yeah. just isn't, right? But are you yeah. still, are you still when, facing yeah. that? Well, um, just the whole idea that the whole world is facing the same problem mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely harder to be like okay so because there would be some months that things are better and then there's another another um you know COVID, you know and so it's definitely i think from the beginning it's better now like in the beginning i definitely had a lot, a lot of anxiety of the unknown and you couldn't, everything was a lockdown, which is when I wrote my book during the lockdown. And you couldn't go outside. So I, I thought of people that needed, that actually use like hiking in the mornings to, for their mental state. And a lot of the um, high, um, trails were closed. So I felt very bad for, for, you know, like what is going on here. But I decided to just, um, write my book that was therapeutic for me and um and definitely it's getting better but I did experience a loss during COVID and so I went I have it in breaking the mold it was towards the end of a chapter it was a chapter that was added that wasn't planned to have it there but I lost my mom during the COVID she didn't have COVID she had a medical problem so, but just the whole idea of going to the hospital, you can be there because they, they don't allow you. Yeah. And so I went through that experience where eventually she went on hospice, but you know, I, when you're giving someone a terminal diagnosis and then you don't allow the family to be there, that was hard. And it was all because of COVID. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I dealt uh, with about myself of uh, type two diabetes early in during COVID. Uh, but I got rid of it right away. Uh, and it wasn't like some people might think getting, getting over a cold, but it only took me a month and a half. My doctor still uses the word miraculous, like I should be the poster boy for, uh, for uh, 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 putting down type 2 diabetes. I've been fortunate. I don't know about you. Uh, if, if I've had any symptoms, I'm not aware of them over the last two years. 
as we head into year number three. Um, my wife has been tested multiple times, all tests negative. I haven't been tested at all. But then again, I've had no symptoms. And where I work, it's just like one or two people at a time. I mean, we don't allow uh-huh. the same uh, uh, lineup of, of uh, programmers in our in our facility at the same time. It's just what we decided to do. Uh, so I suppose, in, and I've been working the whole time. My wife was furloughed for eight weeks. Okay, wow. but I've been coming to work every day for the last two years. Wow, that's great. You know, so I've been very fortunate in that respect. Uh, but a lot of folks like yourself have not, and, and you've had to deal with all of this. I want to talk a little bit as we continue here. I want to talk about um, the relationship uh, that you uh, had and, and maybe even to this day have uh, with your mother because I can uh, kind of relate to that as well in, in my relationship with my mother, who is still alive at 87. And we'll continue talking with Blanca Blanco here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's great to continue our conversation with Blanca Blanco and talking about the work that she is doing to help others to get through uh, and find, uh, despite uh, all that life throws at, at us, um, she has basically uh, brought us a, a, a very dis- the description of self-made uh, as well as an international success, which who knows, maybe all of us can be international successes too. But we also need to find those methods of, um, I don't know if the right word is coping or managing a, a lot of these challenges. But I wanted to ask you about the relationship you had uh, before her passing and maybe still have to this day with her, uh, because I know that on my mother's side of the family, um, we have uh, they would they would speak Spanish when we had to go over to my grandmother's house. Her mother, they would be speaking Spanish, and of course, as the old saying goes, I just listen for my name. I know my name is Ricardo, so I just listen for my name. If I don't hear my name, they're not talking to me. So, so I go about my business as a kid. Um, so we had, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure relatives come come up from Mexico as well. Um, but they lived in Florence, Arizona, and I developed a very close relationship with my grandmother. And when she passed away, and I was still in my single-digit years as a kid, I mean, it, I, I was actually almost escorted from the church because I was so upset. Mm. Um, my mother shared a phrase with me that at first took me back, uh, because usually she'll use my name. But she said to, with me, to me once in an embrace, uh, I love you, son. Not as if she'd forgotten my name. And at first I thought, oh, that's strange. Why would she not say, I love you, Richard? And then mm-hmm. I got to thinking about that. And I thought, wow, that actually feels pretty good. And we've always had this wonderful connection, had great conversations about spiritual things, metaphysical things, those, you know, that type of thing. Even the wonderful traditions. I'm, I'm, not, I'm guessing here, I don't want to assume, that you were raised Catholic. Um, as I, I was raised Roman Catholic as well. And I learned a lot, and there's still much of it that I cherish. What about your upbringing with your mother in particular and that connection that you shared and I'm I'm guessing probably shared to this day with her yes um, growing up my mom she she's been the glue of the family she's always been uh, my number one cheerleader you know when I was a kid and I would have big dreams she always like listened to them and she wouldn't like say oh she just encouraged my the dreams that I had like when I would say oh when I'm older I'm gonna be an actress in Hollywood and and she would say well you can do anything you set yourself to do like she was just like that very positive even though we were living in a car garage and experiencing poverty she didn't, didn't want me to give up on my dreams but we have a very strong connection she was my best friend and when she passed away, when she was given a terminal diagnosis, I was the one who helped her. I went through all her meetings with the doctors and trying to find a solution or maybe another option. And when all the options were all gone, like I had to give the news to my mom. And um, she was very strong. Like she had her 
you know, you can tell that she wanted to be strong for us, but also that she was content. She was very religious, like Catholic. So she thought if, well, if this is what, you know, God wants me to, he wants me to go, then, you know, it's his, that's what I will, you know, it will happen. So she, she had a sense of comfort because of that. And so she definitely, I took care of her for a month over the summer and I went through the process with her. Um, I saw her declined every day and, and how the family was affected and how my mom was changing. And so when she, she passed away, we were all with her. She was not scared. She was with us as well. And so I did one thing, which I wrote in my book, when I was sitting in front of her just a day before she passed, she did call, like she looked above me and she called my grandma. She like she saw my grandma. My grandma passed away long like 10 years ago. And so I just in a way, I don't know what was she was not on medication, so it's not like she was hallucinating yet. But I just thought, you know, I'm happy that she has my grandma when she transitions. So I don't know what that was, but I just felt like I wanted to believe that that was that was her, you know, she was taking the journey with my grandma and we all my siblings had told them about it. Like, this is what, you know, I experienced and they were all happy that, that she had someone to go with her. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm curious, uh, any siblings? Yes, we're five. Five? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, we're like a big family. We're like five kids, um, two. I'm the second oldest. I'm the... First is my brother, then me, and then everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I got you one. I got to beat by one. Uh, family of six: two older sisters, two younger sisters, and a younger brother. And uh, it's interesting being in the middle, or even after the first. Uh, a lot more is expected of the eldest. Oh yes, because I remember I was, you know, I would babysit my sisters. I would help with chores. I was definitely the 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 leader of the siblings you yeah. know everybody like listen to me <laughs> well that's what they were supposed to do but odds are they probably didn't listen to you much <laughs> oh no i spent time basically trying to for them to listen but yeah, they're, they're like, well I, I have to say that the relationships that i have with my siblings as well as my parents uh are very precious to me i don't know about you but um, I, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona in what would be considered a, a middle class. I don't want to say upper middle or lower middle, just middle class, you know, back in the sixties and seventies. And, uh, it was a great, it was a great time. You know, I wish I could go back there sometimes, you know, there are days when, you know, like the last couple of years, I'm sure you would agree. It's like, oh, I wish I could go back to those wonderful times where life was so much simpler, but you come from a place, um, as you describe it, of poverty. There's a there's a wonderful line in a country song, uh, something along. It goes, um, "We didn't have it all, but we had everything we needed." Yeah. And that's referring to family. Now you just mentioned you're from a, a family of five siblings. Um, may I ask uh, uh, about your the relationship with your father? Yeah, my my father was more strict. He was very traditional. He he was, you know, he worked and provided a shelter for us. It was not, it was, you know, not like we basically had a roof. That was it, you know, but it was um, we didn't have like water hook up there for shower or tub. It was very poor conditions, but we were not outside in the snow when it was cold, you know, mm-hmm. so so he was more on the strict side. He didn't believe that women should get an education. He didn't believe that sports were appropriate for women. So very traditional in his period, you know, for back in the days, not even now, because people are more open about, you know, like in Mexico, more more women go to college now, you know, like, so he's back in the, he was back in the period. Mm. So that, that created a lot of conflict because I wanted my independence. I wanted to pursue an education, have my goals, and um, that required I move out of the house. And in his idea, moving out of the house was when you get married. And for me, that was not going to be the reason. Mm. 
We're talking with uh, Blanca Blanco. We're talking about her life uh, and her career as well as both an actress and a model. We're going to get into that as well as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's a real pleasure to have you with us here, Blanca. Now, okay, I'm, uh, I, I, may, I may butcher this. I hope I don't. But if I am correct, as I just did an interview with a gen- gentleman who has a, uh, a particular product uh, along the the hemp category. It's called Oro Blanco. And of course he says, I'm going to test your, oh no, I beg your pardon. Uh, it was on another program I was hosting on food and it was a particular, um, uh, particular, I think, uh, um, uh, I can't remember what it was now anyway. And he tested my Spanish, which I know very little. I took a whole semester in high school just to get out of one semester of English. <laughs> Big mistake. Uh, Blanco, I said, well, okay, well, I know, uh, I know what, what, uh, 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 black is a negro, uh, Blanco. I said, white. He says, well, you're close. It's actually gold, I believe. So is, is your, yours is translated into gold, gold. Is am I correct? Or am I way off base? Totally messed it up. <laughs> uh, Blanco is white. Is white. Okay. Yeah. So my name is white, white. And I'm curious as to, to, I mean, it's a beautiful name, but why did your parents, uh, obviously last name, the surname, Blanco? Yeah. Well, my mom, she always dreamed of having her first child named Blanca. But she, you know, as a kid growing up, that was her name, that favorite name. So when she married a Blanco, well, that was just a coincidence, you know, like mm-hmm. she still kept it. She's like, okay, Blanca Blanco. <laughs> well, I, it's easy. It's easy to, re- easy to remember. Uh, I do remember enough of Spanish to remember that if it ends, usually if it's a, a personal pronoun and it ends in an O, it's male. Uh, and if it uh, ends in an A, it's female. Um, yeah. And I'm both. And you're both. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about your career. Now, I realize it came on, came along a little bit later. Did you, first of all, did you get your education um, and your degrees and so forth before your acting career started? Or was that uh, an afterthought saying, you know, I need to do this. Yes, I'm doing this over here, but I need to go over here and I need to get, uh, I need to get my education as not so much something to fall back on, but it's something I'm interested in and something I want to do. Yeah. When I was growing up and I live in the garage, I, I would do plays uh, I will do like scenes in my in the garage with my sisters and just do uh, monologues. And I really enjoyed the process of creating characters. So I always had the passion in me. And so when I would get the opportunity to do any type of scenes or plays, I would do that. But I also was very realistic. I knew that uh, education was the key to overcome a lot of the challenges. So I wanted to prepare myself, have a strong foundation. Um, I didn't want to just move to Los Angeles and then not have anything and then just go and work at a restaurant. Hmm. Nothing wrong with working at a restaurant, but if I could, you know, use my, you know, like get my education and I can work in a different field if I have to, um, I was going to do that. So so while I was going to graduate, to getting my bachelor's and my master's, I was actually, you know, doing like short films i was doing commercials i was doing auditions so i was still doing that you know and once i moved to los angeles i already had like my real like everything like that i needed but now it's like i move here and i'm i move here for acting like so i can do it as a career and but in the beginning it's a slow process because you know out of 10 auditions maybe you get one call back that's normal. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it was slow. So I ended up working in hospice care um, the first few years so I can have an income and I, I can uh, you know, pay for my acting classes, my workshops and, and my headshots, you know, so you can keep. So I'm not struggling. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And it was, you know, hospice was very challenging. I learned a lot and I have a chapter on my work in the differences that I saw from families that were wealthy and families that that didn't have much mm-hmm. and the care that they received. So I share about my experience in my book. And um, I definitely 
you know, people ask me, but you, you know, did you just change your mind last minute? No, I've been, everything has been planned. I planned everything since a child. <laughs> it's just like, I wanted to have a strong foundation. Mm -hmm. And I haven't met anyone in LA that I know that has a master's degree. So it's like, a, not, I did the non-traditional way, but at least, you know, when I go to sleep, I'm comfortable knowing that whatever happens, I always have my education and i can always you know um use that if any everything fails <laughs> now you talk about how uh you you want to break uh the stigma of poverty in particular if you will uh, and not so much the stigma but you don't want to go back there but what yeah. for you for you and your experiences as a child um what is for you the opposite of poverty? The opposite of poverty is to be able to to have a manageable and a, a comfortable life. And and uh, let me ask you: Do you have that now? Yes. Since I, you know, when even when I started university i i was doing very good with scholarships that um financially i was able to help my family too uh, i would help them with the rent and, and any expenses that they had um and then i've been working and i had a very successful therapy work with hospice and i definitely i was able to change my life around from when i was a child Mm. And then now working in films and working in all over the world and editorials and <clears throat> definitely I've been, you know, I've been blessed. So um, I know that a lot of people, I, I would probably consider myself amongst this group uh, who are, uh, you know, I think quite honestly, at least for the time being. And I say this because I, I really have an optimism about my future financially, especially, and as far as uh, abundance and prosperity and what have you. Um, would love to have four, five, six, seven digits before the decimal point in my bank account. That would be wonderful. But there was this beautiful story that was told to me. I'm going to share with you real quickly here as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story with Blanca Blanco and uh, her work and her story called Breaking the Mold. And I hope that you folks will stay right where you are. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we are going to ask, uh, I want to ask you, uh, Blanca Blanco, to share with us um, uh, about this this aspect of of abundance and prosperity in your life today, a story that was uh, shared with me uh, was of a, a, a couple of guys who uh, they got together every so often for a meal, well, maybe breakfast. They'd go out there and have a great time, conversation. Food was good, and uh, just called them Bill and Jack. And Bill would get the bill. He would Jack would get the bill and pay it. He'd reach into his pocket and he'd have exactly the amount of money he needed for that. Uh, they'd get together again for a lunch and uh, the same situation where there's Bill and Jack and Jack takes the the uh, the the uh, uh, wait from the waitress the the uh, check and he reaches in his pocket and pulls out exactly the right amount for the bill and they go to dinner one night and exactly the same things happen same thing happens he goes to pay the check and Bill says hey uh, you know Jack it's just very interesting I mean, again I greatly appreciate the fact that you've been paying all the time but how is it that you have exactly the right amount every single time we go out to eat and we get together so uh, Jack says well let me tell you a little story I, I found this lamp uh, at this garage sale and and uh, I took it home and I went to clean it up and as I'm rubbing it to clean it up out comes this genie and the genie says, you can have one wish. And uh, I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. I says, hey, can I get back to you? He says, sure. But just remember, you can only have one wish and you cannot wish for more wishes. <laughs> so he thinks about it for about a week, comes back to the genie and says, okay, here's my wish. I wish to have exactly what I need when I need it. Uh, to, to take care of, you know, whatever obligations in terms of money, bills, uh, dining, and et cetera, et cetera. 
So every time I go someplace, every time I need it, I have just exactly what I need. And so in a manner of speaking, at the moment when they're, say, sitting there and eating, he's at zero. But as soon as the check comes, he's got exactly what he needs. And I often wonder uh, about that story and taking on that and thinking, gee, I wonder if I'm doing myself a disservice because if that's the perspective that I'm going to take, I'll never have five, six, seven digits before the decimal point in my bank account. And yet at the same time, when you take a look at nature, they don't have any decimal point, period. They don't, necess- they don't work. As, as it says in the Bible, uh, the birds, they don't toil, they don't d- do any work, and yet, look, they're taken care of. How much more will your father take care of you? What is your perspective on the, the attitude, especially here in the United States? Uh, and again, forgive me for putting it that way, because you are an American. But in terms of um, uh, our attitude of what abundance and prosperity is and what your perspective of that is. Yes. Well, I feel that, you know, growing up, not having nothing, the only thing that I had was the love of my la- my mom, you know, and that, that made me happy. So every person, their definition of prosperity, abundance is different. Like for me is to be, to have a rich life, not financially, but with you know, love around me with, um, you know, to be healthy and um, to be able to just have a comfortable life, but not, not, not talking about the, the financial part, because that really is not really going to make you, you know, happy. Like if you could have money and still not be happy with your life, you have other areas that you are dealing with so for me growing up i my definition of being rich is to be love to have love around me and compassionate people and to be healthy Mm. well i couldn't agree with you more on that um i've often told people and i had a dear friend who i've known for 50 years um who basically was living out of his car and he called me one day asking for help and the best I could do is offer him uh, words of, of encouragement, uh, at least from my perspective. And, and I said, look, uh, you are still living in Phoenix. You still have uh, that community of friends, okay, that you and I, you know, we both know. And you need to go to one of them and say, look, I'm down on my luck. Um, you know, I need a little support here. Could I stay with you? Uh, until I get my get myself back on my up on my feet, and he did that, and now today he's managing uh, multiple um, concessions at the uh, Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. Um, wow! And uh, of course, he was doing that before all of this happened. He lost his home. Uh, I think he even lost the car. Uh, but, um, you know, he pulled himself up by his bootstraps, and it is possible. What are not only some of the lessons that you've learned through uh, this process, but some of the steps that you want to share with people in terms of, um, so to speak, if I can put it this way, sort of resurrecting their lives. Uh, you know, you, you reach bottom, and as the old saying goes, there's no place to go but up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, you know, traumatic experiences shape us. They give us, they give us skills and growth. I know that for me, if it wasn't for my traumas, early childhood traumas, I wouldn't have known how much more determination I had or resilience and or how much I was able to overcome. It really, I was able to see that I, you know, I, it helped me grow as a person. And um, I develop other skills like adaptability skills. I'm able to adjust and manage, you know, um, and just my unstoppable drive, my determination. And these are all skills that from when you're dealing with a traumatic experience and you have challenges, the challenges make us stronger, not weaker. Hmm. 
Any particular steps that you have been able to put together uh, that you uh, share with us through the work and the book that you have written? Again, the title of the book, folks, is Breaking the Mold. Yes, I definitely can share. I work a lot on reframing as a child. And reframing basically means turning the negatives to positives. And it sounds simple, but it's a lot of hard work when you're a child. I noticed that when I saw the problems uh, as a problem, I just felt like I didn't have a, like, I just felt like I didn't have much control. Um, but when I saw it as a, as a, like, as a challenge, like it gave me so much determination to go, you know, go through it. So I, at an early age, I started changing the barriers to challenges and changing the negative to, to a positive. I was able to use that skill to be able to change my negatives to positives. And then also I was able to, I was a runner growing up. I did track and, and volleyball. So I use the same idea with, with sports. You get a lot of discipline. You set goals you follow through, you got to finish what you start. You can, otherwise you look in the middle and you just, you know, don't complete. And I thought I'm going to also use the same idea with running with my life, you know, because I can't just stop halfway mm-hmm. and I don't, I, I, I miss, you know, like I don't even finish the race. So I, I try to have my life, like use the same skills in my life, you know, the, uh, reframing and also just have like discipline and use my all the skills that I was learning in in running, applying it in my life. You experienced something also that uh, we want to talk about as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, and and that has to do with what most of us, many of us, I should say, not most of us, but many of us have experienced to one degree or another, living here in California, or even uh, me being from Arizona, uh, and that is uh, dealing with what used to be called forest fires. They now just refer to them as wildfires because, boy, uh, things get very wild out there when the land is on fire, and you dealt with the fire that swept through Malibu. Uh, and we want to talk about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, we're talking with uh, our very special guest, uh, Blanca Blanco, uh, actress and model. She's also the author of her latest work, which is entitled Breaking the Mold. We hope that you will pick up a copy of uh, this wonderful book, uh, Breaking the mold um, and uh, basically it's uh, uh, something that she talks about in the book in terms of uh, the escape if you will from the uh, Woolsey fire which as you describe uh, as uh, Armageddon uh, and uh, this was a fire out in Malibu uh, and you were alone driving through the wildfire and your windows were hot and it was burning Uh, the only relationship uh, the only connection I can have to something like that uh, during, I think it was the Hesusita um, fire that we had here many several years ago, I needed to get up to my wife. We lived up the mountain above Santa Barbara, and the fire was going across the front country, which was the barrier between myself and the top of the mountain. And I was in one of the uh, county fire trucks, and they drove me up, and embers are flying everywhere. The hillsides weren't on fire, but in your case... It sounds like the hills were on fire, the trees around you were on fire, and you were basically just hightailing it through through the flames. Yes, it was definitely, I feel like Armageddon in so many ways, because even survival of the fittest, people were fighting with each other, throwing oh. cars um, at the gas station, and we ran out of gas at the gas station, so people became very aggressive, and then... Um, when I went actually the opposite way, I went towards the fire without knowing. And so I had to just keep going and it just, it was like in the morning and it was, it just felt like it was pitch black, you know, from the ashes. And so I remember driving and my car was so hot and the embers were coming and, you know, I would see them on my windshield. Um, the entire 
mountain was burning and so it was just like the heat that was on my face as I'm driving and I afraid that if anything goes wrong there's nowhere to go because you have the 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 beach next to you like there's no boat I don't know how to swim where am I gonna go you know <laughs> it's like oh god so I definitely went through which I described my traumatic experience escaping the fire how I was able to use some techniques that helped me to stay relaxed because I was experiencing an anxiety attack and so I I also had my bunny with me my I have a little bunny and she's actually on the title page of the book of breaking the mold and so she, I was able to also, she was such a good companion for me to, you know, I, I was able to, you know, get through it and, and pass, pass the, the, it took about two hours of, I will say mm. hell. <laughs> you know? My goodness. Uh, and, and, uh, did you lose in that fire? Did you lose everything? Yes, I lost everything. The only thing that survived was when I came back. It was my my college degrees. They were in the rubble with the with the frames that I had bought. They, they were fireproof. And I remember when I bought them, you know, the sometimes the companies they just want to rip you off, you know, oh you pay it's this much, but it's because it's fireproof. And I'm like, oh sure, it's fireproof. Well, it was fireproof, like <laughs> everything was like gone, the roof was collapsed, the um and the frames were perfectly on top of it, like with no scratches. Mm. And so it was just like, you know, it was a good investment of buying those frames, even though they were like super expensive. That <laughs> yeah. when I was in college. And so that's what I, I was able to get. I, I took some stuff from there that I thought maybe I could take it to the dry cleaning and try to save it. I tried that maybe like three or four times. And it, it, it's like a, like a treatment that you put the items in there for like a week or two, and then it's supposed to clean the, the smoke. No, it didn't work. I ended up just throwing it away. But you have an attachment to stuff. And I thought, oh, maybe I can recover this. I know I lost all my, my book collection. I'm like mm. a book form. That, that was all gone. Oh, my. Um, you have an acting as well as a modeling career. Uh, I, I have to say, and I, I, I don't even think I've got the name pronounced correctly here, uh, Blanca. Um, I think it's Sofia Bagara. Uh -huh. Is that her name? I think that's how she pronounces the last name, or how the last name's pronounced. I have to say, you remind me of uh, of her. Oh. But I have one question for you because I'm looking at some of the photographs of your modeling. One in particular where you are wearing what is it? Uh, six? Not six. Three. It looks like three or four inch heels on your website. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I do not understand why a woman would wear something that cannot be comfortable at all. I just bought a pair of low-cut uh, low, uh, boots, okay, because uh, I, I, I wanted to wear boots, and I had to get them with the wide and so forth. But they don't have a very high, you know, it's maybe a half-inch heel at the most because it's a boot. But I, I can't see how that can be comfortable walking in. Uh <laughs> How do you do that? It's we like magic. Lady Gaga that. <laughs> What's that? We could ask Lady Gaga that. She has like 10 inch high heels no. all the time. Well, for me, I wore just for the photo shoot. I, I cannot walk in those. I have maybe minimum three inches. And it's like, that's, you know, that the thick, not the thin um, heel. But yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know how, like I have some some heels that are not that you know but they're like so they, they're like yeah four inches but i just have them for photos photo shoots yeah uh mm -hmm. i i'd let them photoshop them in myself if <laughs> but that's uh, me i i of course i wouldn't yeah, well, after the photo the first thing i did i took off my shoes oh i tell you uh there's <laughs> some of the most uncomfortable clothing and i i I have to wonder sometimes about the designers. Uh, I think that they 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 want to torture people, especially women. I, I don't I just don't understand that. Uh, but then again, uh, you know, I'm uh, 
I'm not of that particular uh, ilk, as it were. Uh, but, uh, it, uh, you know, it's it's impressive that it, it just the same how women are able to actually move about without falling over. It's like, well, why don't you just wear stilts? I mean, please uh, be careful. Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? But you have this wonderful book, uh, Blanca, and we are so excited to have you here on the program uh, to discuss uh, this work. I think this is wonderful uh, what you are sharing with uh, our listeners and our viewers. Uh, and, and with that, let me just say to our listeners and our viewers that you are listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and we have a special edition of Tell Me Your Story on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. And all of the programs that we do are on Sound cloud itunes tune in radio spotify stitcher player fm blueberry iHeartRadio, amazon music and many other locations we are also on youtube where you can watch these interviews and i hope that you will make it a point to watch these interviews and subscribe as well you can go to youtube and uh, look for tell me your story and richard dugan just look for the guy with the black hat and uh, we also ask that you participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, uh, where we ask you to spend some time in that quiet, peaceful place listening to that still, small voice. And if you would like to support the work that we are doing here on Tell Me Your Story, we would greatly appreciate any support that you can give us. Uh, we have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. And uh, when they ask you for an email address to whom to send the a contribution to Richard at RichardDugan.com. That's Richard at RichardDugan.com. And uh, I am Richard Dugan, and this is Tell Me Your Story. We are talking today with a um, beautiful woman who has been through a lot of stuff. You, you, you know, sometimes we look back, uh, uh, Blanca, and... Uh, sometimes the psychological um, advice that's given to us, well, why don't you think about uh, people who have it even worse than you? You know, your situation ain't so bad. Your, situa <laughs> your situation kind of was so bad, not only uh, growing up in poverty, but I have to say, even going through that fire, I mean, I've only been evacuated once uh, because uh, from the uh, Whittier fire up here in Santa Barbara County. Um, but I've been through like 14 fires and wow. it is, uh, I, I'm curious, have you been, uh, you talked about anxiety. What about PTSD through all of the stuff that you've been through? Have you, uh, have you ever been diagnosed with, uh, post-traumatic stress? N no. Um, when I was, you know, growing up, I didn't even see a therapist, but I, I work on myself as a kid, like changing, you know, reframing and, and setting goals. And, um, as I got older, I, I, you know, I was able to just talk to a therapist and, but I, I didn't have, um, the PTSD. I, I don't even, I guess I, I worked on it as I, I put it in different areas uh, mm -hmm. and meaning that when we have traumatic experiences, we're more likely to experience post-traumatic growth by 66%. Oh, wow. PTSD by 25%. So what I focus on as a child was the negativity to look at, you know, how I'm growing, my strengths, my skills. I, I pretty much took everything that was negative and, and apply it to, so for my personal growth. And I think that as a child, I, I don't, if you ask me how I thought of that, I didn't have a therapist, but I just knew that I felt better when I saw the situation in a positive way. I knew that I couldn't control it, that it was gonna, the situation was gonna be there, but I could control my, I can remain in control of my perception, mm. the way I see things. So that, I guess, you know, as a as a child, that, that helped me because I, a lot of times when people have a lot of trauma, they do, they go the wrong path, you know, they like mm -hmm. use drugs, drink alcohol, like excessively and drop out of school get pregnant early like 
it's like all I had all the odds that were against me and I knew that I, I didn't want that in my life. But how did you know to do those things? Where did you learn that? Well, whenever I would feel like um, whenever I saw, I felt like I was like like a victim, I, I didn't like the way I, it made me feel like like I didn't have any control of life. But when I saw myself, you, you know, like I am going to work at this and be a survivor like this is not normal what I'm going through, but I could change my future. I could make goals every day, work on it every day. I use I, I I enjoy learning, so I was able to focus on things I, I had control. Mm -hmm. I would put a lot of effort at school. I would become an active leader in my community. It doesn't mean that it happened overnight. I took I would volunteer every every year, you know, and eventually I was able to, you know, then you meet people, you you have people that are supporting you, you know, that are encouraging you, like teachers and, and people that become mentors. So I, I utilize all my resources that I had in, in the school and then also in, in the community to be able to, when I didn't feel like doing anything, I had responsibilities to do and I would just push myself. And then once I, I did it, I'm like, oh, I feel much better. So it's just, I just pushing myself every day and knowing that it was temporary. Hmm. Well, I have to say this thought came to me um, that you, you, are a beautiful person inside and out. And as I'm sure difficult as it was to write Breaking the Mold, it is a beautiful story because, uh, I don't want to say because of the ending, but because of where it ends in the, in the now, in this moment where you and I are talking, where you have come through all of these things. So what do you see from this point forward, what do you see for your future? Well, I see a movie coming out of my book because I think that we need more stories of hope and resilience. And um, that was another motivating factor when I wrote my book. I thought we, in this time, we need more, more stories of, you know, humanity, like real life situations and turning around mm -hmm. and so i will continue working as an actress as my passion and um just you know doing what i love but wouldn't it have just been easier just to to be the victim yeah i couldn't i couldn't see myself as a victim <laughs> I, I i wanted to have control i wanted to have power mm. and i couldn't do that thinking i was a victim I feel weaker. Yeah. And isn't that interesting? Because there are people who have been told that we are the victim of what others have done to us, yeah. uh, especially as a country. We've been told that because of what they did, we're not so great. We're not so good. We're not the best and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, I myself growing up in the 80s uh, in particular, during that victimhood phase of our psychological growth. And I went through some personal growth programs myself, like LifeSpring. And um, when I saw that crop up about uh, uh, six years ago, I thought, wait a minute. Uh, we already did this. We did this back in the 80s. Why are we playing the victim again? Uh, but it's because there are still more people out there who want to play the victim, who want to blame everybody else and don't want to take responsibility. So to that end, what level of responsibility do you see in your life for where you are today? Well, I just wanted to touch base on the, the what you were saying right now, because I know that whenever people made me feel like if they would say something and I feel hurt, like then I, I would be, well, you, you can't blame other people about how you're feeling, how they made you feel, because the only person responsible how I feel and act is myself. So we cannot blame others for making us feel one way. Like we got to work on ourselves to feel secure and valued. And so that's a, a responsibility that we have to have a strong foundation on ourselves and, 
that will help us to get through the roller coaster and not to quit. One final uh, item I want to uh, discuss with you here: uh, the importance of community of having a network, regardless of what's happening to you, such as my friend uh, back in Phoenix, uh, and uh, such as our situation where we were evacuated and somebody did come forward, a friend of ours who offered us a room uh, for uh, a few nights while we waited to, for the evacuations to be lifted the, uh, and so forth. Uh, and, and the same situation with a lot of folks, regardless of, of what this challenges are that are facing them. Talk to us about the creating of the network, of the community in one's life, and how important that is, because I'm sure you have quite a network in your life today. Yes, for me, it is so important. Like I, like growing up, I would be very active in the community. I would volunteer in the nursing home. I would create, help organize events in the community. And it really helps because not only you're able to help with whatever is needed in the community, but also you, you have a network of people that are, you know, they know you, that, you know, they support you. And also you become a stronger leader when you do that. You know, it's like definitely that's like, you know, the, you know, become there's, you know, you become more resourceful as well. You can help others. And um, and I, for, for me, I know when I apply for scholarships, besides the grades, the most important part of the application process was my my involved in the community. Because, see, you can take anyone with a, a good grade but they have no community involvement. They don't know their community. So they, they will not succeed as a, the person that has lower grade, has strong leadership skills, is gonna go far in life, in, even with any degree that they decide to do because they have the leadership skills, the community, they're people that would run for president, people that will run for big positions, but the people that have no community skills, their involvement, their they have some, they have more competition. Yeah. And, and also too, in reference to community, uh, you don't necessarily develop or create a network and a community for the purpose of them being there for you. It's, it's, yeah. uh, it's a give and take. You are there for them as well, but also um, you want to work together to maybe, I don't know, maybe uh, in your neighborhood, uh, the respective community where you are, you don't have a park. And, hey, there's a piece of land. Let's let's petition the city council to to put a park in here for our kids and the kids that will come along in future generations and so forth and make it a nicer place to live, just as an example. And then when those events come along, like a fire uh, or what have you, um, you're there for one another. You know each other and you realize that, you know, hey, we're all the same and we're all affected by this. We need yeah. to stand together and, and, and we can all get to, through this together, just like with this pandemic. Uh, that's one of the things that I found so saddened, saddening about the pandemic is how it has uh, divided and subdivided our societies, not just in the U.S. either, but across the, across the globe. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of division in many, many groups are divided and it's a different world that we're living in. But I think that it seems like there's now like there's more light at the end of the tunnel. Like finally, we're seeing like the pattern of how it works and people are taking action. And and definitely you realize who are the people that you that were not that very responsible during and you kind of think twice about what kind of friends they are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's like, okay. Mm -hmm. So definitely that happens in a lot of, you know, friendships. I know, um, you know, from what I'm observing, but 
But definitely, yeah, if you're going to volunteer in the community, do it for reasons of helping others, not selfish reasons. Right. Because when you do things for selfish reasons, it's not going to get far. You're going to get bored and you're not going to be happy. Right. So do it if you have a passion. I mean, I I enjoy going to the nursing home and talking to the elderly. I say when I was in in middle school and I would bring cookies to them, you know. <laughs> it's like, I really just enjoyed that, or just like helping in the community. Um, not only it was like a way of, you know, breaking my, you know, I was kind of shy, mm-hmm. but also um, I was able to meet amazing people that were like, oh wow, they they inspire me, you know. Like mm-hmm. I learned a lot, even even from just doing. Uh, you know, that type of volunteer work. Yeah. But I think it's important to know your community, your neighborhood. And because you just never know, like, I know when the, when the fire happened, well, the community <laughs> became all crazy <laughs> in Malibu. It's like, it was definitely a new thing that I saw, but, but um, definitely after everything happened, the, people were like reaching out to each other, like when we were all looking at our places and everybody was, you know, supportive and after their homes, the ones that survived their homes, you know, like you can come here. Like it was like very, you know, strong community in the aftermath. And during, you know, the, this, the stress hits everyone because everybody's on the same, um, trying to survive. Yeah. You see that right there. So yeah. you can't expect people to stay maintain composure you know in every situation <laughs> yeah, that's true that's true and of course the interesting thing too is that these kinds of events uh they are the great equalizers it doesn't matter how much money you've got now mm-hmm. you know we are all as another <laughs> i'm listening to country music these days and uh, we're all in the same boat we're all fishing in the same hole uh and uh, you know wondering where the time goes and the money too, uh, yeah. but uh, you know this is this is all about uh, our connectedness. And um, uh, w- uh, let me ask you uh, real quickly here about how these events in your life that you write about in your book, Breaking the Mold, help you in your acting career. Well, I know that. Writing my book was very therapeutic and I was able to bring out a lot of information and feelings, emotions of what I experienced as a child. And when I work on a character, I do the same thing. I dig the, I look at the character. What is it? How is she supposed to feel and think and act? So I bring it within me and then to find that new character. So I feel that it's definitely, there's a parallel, but, but my book, it's my, my story, not a character, you know, it is my organic self. So, but definitely it is a way, you know, when you work on as an actress or actor, you bringing a character to life. I start from within me. We are talking with Blanca Blanco, and her book is Breaking the Mold. We hope that you'll get a copy. Go to her website, BlancaBlanco.com. We will be linked to your website, Blanca, so that people can find out more about you and the work that you are doing as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I hope that you folks have enjoyed this program as much as I have. I have really thoroughly enjoyed talking with you and having you share your story of what you've been through and and what you've overcome and how you basically did, basically what we all need to do is you you did your own work. And that's part of what we're trying to encourage people to do is is we got to do our own work. Nobody can do it for us. You better work harder if you have challenges. Yeah. I have three final questions for you uh, that I ask all of my guests at the end of a program. And um, 
I want to ask those questions. You may have addressed them during the program, but I'd like to ask them directly. Uh, and before I do, I want to remind you that you are listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story, where we stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. Podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeart, Radio, Amazon Music. We're also on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. It's Tell Me Your Story, Richard Dugan. Just look for the guy with the black hat. And um, we also would encourage you to spend time during the decade of perfect vision going within and listening to that still, small voice. And um, we also ask that if you can support us financially, we would appreciate it. We have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. And all you have to do is put the email address of Richard at RichardDugan.com in the email field when they ask who to send the funds to. And uh, we thank you, thank you, thank you for those who have helped and for those who will help. And with that, uh, as I've been saying of late, uh, uh, Blanca, we now enter the uh, the lightning round of the game show, Tell Me Your Story, where we ask the three final questions of our contestants. Uh, and so the first question that I have for you, Blanca, is who is Blanca Blanco? So I am a person that works hard and is happy with my choices and just my determination it's unstoppable. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? What I hope to achieve is to um, be able to help others and be able to provide some tools and also my personal experience with my book and how you can overcome hardships. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life purpose is to be happy and healthy. And with that, Blanca Blanco, thank you so much uh, for... Uh, uh, for sharing your story here on the program, and uh, I, I want to let you know, and I would, I have never, I've never said this to any other guest before, but I extend it to all of my guests over the last 14 plus years of interviewing here on Tell Me Your Story. If there's anything you need and I can provide, let me know. You are a part of my community now. Thank you so much. I'm very happy that you in interviewed me, and also I wanted to share that you know my book. Breaking the Mold, it's at Barnes & Noble. Excellent. Yeah. All of the outlets, brick and mortar as well as online. Mm. Excellent. And please, let's have you back when we uh, when we are, are working on the movie. Uh, by the yeah. way, will, you think you'll play yourself? Um, I think that maybe in the present, but now not when I'm younger, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Well, uh, again, thank you so much. And thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol.